Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Wow, what a song. Thank you for that, ladies. And uh, it is just, just as a personal note, it is one of my greatest joys of coming to church and hearing people sing. I love to hear the body of Christ proclaiming uh, the good news of Jesus Christ in different songs, and that is such an encouragement to my soul, and I hope that it is to you as well. And today, as we gather here to, to, to think about this idea that we get to celebrate that the God of the universe is our friend, that, that is a remarkable statement and a remarkable reality that the God who created everything pursues us because He wants to be our friend. Every one of us in this room, that message is for you that God loves you and he desperately desires to be your friend. So as we study this uh, topic of friendship through the book of Proverbs, we're going to learn some more about that today. So we're going to look at Proverbs 18. If you want to open your Bible there, I will have the verses on the screen if that's easier for you to follow along on there. As I was thinking about this topic of friendship, I went back in my mind to the summer of 2006. Now, there are some details about the summer of 2006 that are just very real in my mind. I just graduated college or high school. I was getting ready to go off to college. And that summer, I remember just anxiously watching my email because I was waiting for an email from the college I was getting ready to go to. And this email I was really looking for was an email that would give me access to my college email account. All right? Now, you may think, why in the world would you be so excited to get your college email account in the summer of 2006? Let me tell you why. Because way back in the day, when Facebook first started, you had to have a college email address to get a Facebook account. So I remember just graduating high school, and I was anxiously waiting because I wanted to sign up for Facebook. So I was just waiting for that .edu so that I could join the Facebook world because it was just changing everything. Now, that was a long time ago, right? And social media has now become such a common part of our lives that I think we would all admit that it has changed the way we think about friendship. And I'm not here to just bash on social media, okay, because there's some really great things about it. Social media allows us to stay connected to people that we would absolutely lose contact with without it, right? So I got, I got social media and Facebook back when I was finishing high school, and so me and all my high school friends were so excited because we're going to stay friends forever because we have Facebook, And so, you know, I've not talked to most of these people since the summer of 2006, but I get to look on Facebook and see a little bit about what's going on in their lives. I know their family situation, get to see their kiddos and all that kind of fun stuff, and that's really great. And Facebook also allows us and gives us a place to kind of put ourselves out there, right? Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but it gives us a place where we can let ourselves be known. And, you know, that can be a really good thing. Because, you know, as we follow each other and we're connected online, we can kind of see snippets of people's lives that, that can become a foundation that we can actually talk to one another about in person and get to know one another more. Because sometimes, you know, when you're just meeting somebody for the first time and you know nothing about them, it's really hard. Those are hard conversations to have. And so maybe, maybe your go-to move is to Facebook stalk them a little bit and be like, all right, they've got kids. I can talk about that. They just went to the beach. We can talk about that, right? And it gives you a little bit of a foundation that you can start on. Those are really good things. But social media has also kind of changed our view of friendship in some negative ways, right? It's given this, us this illusion that we are way more connected to one another than we really are, right? We see our social media 
community, and we think we really are part of this community, except when it comes to like our actual real day-to-day life, that community is kind of separated from us and doesn't really have access to the stuff in my life. So when we read about Jesus, and he's with us in the fire, he's with us in the valley, you know, social media community can do that to an extent, but they, they can't do that in the same way that a person who is in sharing space with you can do. And so sometimes it gives us this false idea of connectedness. And sometimes it's kind of trained our minds to be where it's actually gotten way easier to talk to people online than it is in real life, right? Sometimes it's actually kind of scary to walk up to a human being and like look at their face and have a conversation with them because it puts us on the spot, right? You don't, you don't get to like think about your answer. You don't get to plan ahead. You don't get to correct it. Like, you know, you're just, you're just there and you're vulnerable and, it's, and it requires this emotional investment that online community really doesn't require. When it comes to online friendships, I can kind of get to them when I want to. I can, you know, I don't really have to invest anything in you. I can just kind of take from you. And so it it's really has changed our understanding of friendship. And so it's an interesting thing that even though our world is more connected than we've ever been at any point in history, study after study shows we are also more lonely people than we've ever, ever been in history. That human beings who are taking these surveys are saying, I am a lonely person. I struggle with feeling alone. And we are seeing that, that number rise every year, even though we are more interconnected than we've ever been before. What is going on? Because God has created us to be a people of community. He has not created us to be people who are isolated and feel alone. And so what are we missing? And what is the church missing in that we are connected, but we are alone? And the book of Proverbs has something to say about that very specific issue. Proverbs is going to show us that it's actually possible to be very connected and yet to be alone. And so today, as we look at this, we are, again, when it comes to friendship, not only are we saying, what kind of friend do I want to look for? We're primarily saying, what kind of friend do I want to be? What kind of individual do I want to be in the lives of others so I can help other people not have to feel alone like many of them are? So let's pray, and then we will jump into our text this morning. Father, I thank you so much that we get to come as a people to a God who desires to be our friend. Father, I thank you that the story of the gospel and the great story of the Bible is a story of friendship. That you gave, you came and pursued us, you created us in order to be our friends. And God, we have broken that through our sin. We've broken our relationship with you, we've broken our relationships with one another. And yet even then, you saw us with the heart of a friend and you pursued us. And you solved our problem by offering your perfect son to die on the cross in our place so that we once again could have restored friendship with you. Father, may that grip our hearts today. May we long to be people who model your friendship in the way that we interact with others. So I pray that you would open our eyes to the scriptures this morning. Help us to understand this concept. Help us to to look at our own lives and see areas where we can grow in this area. In your name we pray. Amen. So Proverbs 18, 24, and I'm going to do something we don't do a lot here, but I'm going to put it up here, and, and you'll actually see there's, there's, I'm going to give this to you in two different versions, and I'll show you why in just a minute. Proverbs 18, 24, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James, it says something like this, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
Now, if you have the ESV or the NIV or NLT or some other translation like that, yours may, may something more along this line. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, when you look at those two verses, you're like, what is, what is going on? And the reason I wanted to show that is because if I'm quoting one and you're looking at your Bible, you're probably like, am I actually reading the wrong verse or something? Because just, just glancing at these, these look very different. And I want to help us kind of wrestle with this a little bit. Now, what we see here in these verses is that they very clearly are comparing two kinds of friends, okay? Now, when you see these two words that are in red right there, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother. In the original language, those actually are two different words that mean two very different things. This first word, companion, is really the idea we get for neighbor or acquaintance, Okay? So it's somebody that we sort of know, but they're, they're a distant, distant person in our lives. But when it comes to the second idea, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is a word that's actually speaking of a very deep, committed type of love. Okay? So this is really important that this verse is making this contrast between these two types of friends. And we see that in both of them, they capture this contrast. There is this kind of friend, but... There's also this other kind of friend, all right? And so why, obviously, you see here this contrast is the same, and this last phrase is the same, but this first phrase seems very different. And the reason is, is the King James and the New King James, if that's what you're reading, it's trying to kind of capture more of the poetic sense of this idea. Now, we read that and we kind of miss it because it actually looks like a really good thing, right? A man who has friends must be friendly. So we read it as kind of like this encouragement, be a friendly person. When you read it in the ESV, it sounds so different. A man of many companions will come to ruin. And that almost seems like, hey, don't have a lot of friends. Or that's just going to wear you out. But as we think about this in this comparative type sense, that is sort of what it's saying. It's not saying don't have a lot of acquaintances, don't have companions. But it is saying if your life is just full of acquaintances, it's just full of this connectedness that's kind of distant, the reality of the, the end of that is ruin. But there is a type of friendship that is different. It's based on a committed love that sticks closer than a brother. And if that's the kind of friendship we have, that is a friendship that will last. That is a friendship that helps us battle the loneliness that we feel. That's a friendship that is there through the ups and downs of life. And so when the King James, it's kind of saying it in this kind of uh, joking kind of way. If you want to have a lot of friends, be ready to be very friendly with everybody, right? It's kind of trying to capture this idea of like, you can have a whole lot of acquaintances, but it's going to be tough because we can only spread ourselves so thin. And so that's the contrast that this is making. And it's showing, this verse right here is showing us it's possible to be very connected, but very alone. And so today, we're really going to look at this last phrase, this idea of a friend who sticks closer than a brother, because that's what we're aiming at. We're not just aiming to be a church of companions or a church of acquaintances. We are aiming to be a church of friends. And so we want to study the scripture and think, okay, what is that idea trying to communicate to us? And the good news is for you today, I only have one point in this sermon, all right? So you may think that means you're going to get to lunch early. Fear not. It does not mean that. All right. There's a lot to say about this one point, one very simple idea. A godly friend chooses commitment. All right. One point for our whole day, and we're going to flesh this out, but a godly friend chooses 
commitment. And we're going to think about that because as we compare companions and friends, we can look at our life and, and recognize they're very different types of relationships. Companionship's not bad, but it's, it's something like somebody who lives next door to you, right? They're kind of a companion by default because you're going to see them, you're going to rub shoulders with them. Maybe it's somebody that, it's another adult on your kid's little league team, right? Whether you like them or not, you're going to be together for the next couple months. They're, they've become a companion. Or sometimes companionship is built on shared hobbies or shared interests, right? These, these are fine things. But meaningful friendship is based on commitment. And we've experienced in our life that that's a very different thing, right? When you find yourself in that moment of need, there are certain people you can call and know they're going to respond, they're going to be there to help. They're going to show up. They're going to give of themselves. And there's other people that we know, you know, that's really not the relationship we have. If I call them, they're going to be like, ah, oh, that stinks. I really hope that turns out well for you. Because that's the depth of relationship we share with that individual. And so they're very different types of relationships. But this meaningful friendship is, is a friendship that will stand even when circumstances change. So one person may move away, but that commitment still remains the same. And over time and over life, you know, things change and our schedules change. So maybe we don't get to see that person as often anymore, but that commitment is still there. That's what we are looking for. We want a friend who shows up. In moments of hardships, they're there to stand by us and to go through them with us. In moments of rejoicing, they're there to rejoice with us. In moments of need, they're willing to share and give of themselves. Those things describe a committed friend, not just a connected companion. Now, as we think about this idea of what does it mean to stick close, there's another verse that you're familiar with that has this same, that uses this same word, and that's Genesis chapter 2, when it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or stick close to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, that's a little bit much. To think that the term being used to describe friendship is also the term being used to describe what a relationship with a husband and wife should look like. Now, obviously, they're very different, right? It goes on. There's a difference. Marriage becomes one flesh. Friends do not. There's a difference. But we don't want to dismiss this reality. When we choose to get married, we are choosing to commit ourselves to one individual. We are saying, for richer, for poorer, for better, or for worse, I am committed to you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I am not going to run away. I am committed to you. And when we make that kind of commitment, you realize it kind of forces us to change other relationships, right? Do you see that here in this verse? When you choose to make that commitment to a spouse, it kind of requires you to change the relationship that you have with your parents. Well, likewise, when we choose to make a commitment to a friend, when we are saying to this friend, I am committed to you, by default, that means there are other relationships in my life that I no longer can give quite as much attention to. That's just the reality. We can't have a deeply committed relationship with every person in this room. It's not possible. And so when we choose this level of committed relationship, it is saying, I am choosing you. I'm choosing this relationship to be a priority in my life. Come good or hard circumstances, I am still going to be there for you. Now, Jesus did this same thing as you think about his disciples. We know at times it talks about the 70 disciples who were in the upper room waiting on Jesus. But then there's also times where it talks about the 12 disciples who walked daily with him. But even in the 12 disciples, we see three disciples who were with him every event. 
They hardly ever missed anything in Jesus' life. And every time Jesus had a very significant thing, he brought those three people along. So Jesus was modeling this very idea for us. Jesus himself was saying, I can't be deeply friends with 70 people. I can't do it. But I can be extremely committed to these few. Now, it doesn't mean I'm rude or arrogant or push away these other people, but it is recognizing as a human being, I am limited in my ability to be connected to people. And so this is encouraging us to step back from being a mile wide and an inch deep and to think about what are relationships I can more deeply invest in in my life. Because those are the friendships that God is actually encouraging us to pursue in this text. So as we think about this idea, we realize this is a very easy thing to talk about. And maybe we've had people in our lives who are like, I am there for you. No matter what happens, I'm going to be there for you. And then that thing happens and you're like, where did they go? Right? Because it's much easier to talk about this commitment than to actually demonstrate it. Proverbs 20 talks about this. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? (laughs) Right? It's very easy to walk around, I love you so much, I am always going to be there for you. Well, I mean, except for like if my favorite show is on TV, then obviously you're going to have to wait a little bit, right? But this is pointing to the reality of how rare this is in our world. A faithful man. A friendly man, the the person who understands this depth of relationship, who can find it? And maybe as you're sitting there listening to this, you're thinking that very thing. I would love to have a friend like that. Where do I find them? I've been looking. I can't find it. I can't find people who are willing to connect with me like that. Where do I find them? And the reality is there's not a lot of people who live with this kind of commitment in their lives. And so our challenge for us is first, instead of saying, where do I find one? It says, how do I become one? How do I become this kind of man or woman? Because what I can promise you is if you become that kind of man or woman, there are others looking for that kind of person. They will find you. Those relationships will come as you begin to change and to become this person who's committed to people through the way that you relate. This is not an easy thing to do, but this is the depth of commitment that we are being called to. And as we look back to our main point, a godly friend chooses commitment. Right? So commitment is not something that's forced upon us. It's a choice that we're being called to make. And we see that as we get to this comparison. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, obviously, we don't have choices of who our brothers are. Right? You don't get to choose who your brothers and sisters are. That just happened. But what this is saying here is friendship is a choice. Blood blood relations are not a choice that you have, but friendship is a choice that you get to make. And so we are being called here to choose something, not being forced into something. Now, as we think about this idea of relationships, I want us to really stop for a minute, and really for the next few minutes, we're going to think about what is this saying? What would the, the original audience that read this, when they read this line, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, what would have been going on in their minds? Because as we read that, we probably have a lot of things going on in our minds, right? A lot of us in this room have brothers or sisters, and maybe you are very close to that person, and you're blessed by that relationship, and you say, man, there is, I don't have a friend in the world who would ever be closer than my brother or sister. That's a wonderful thing. Maybe you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum and be like, well, just about everybody's closer to me than my brother or sister, right? I mean, that's a, maybe some of us have broken relationships there, and, and really those are strained relationships, and a lot of relationships are closer, 
Or maybe you kind of have the, the family mentality that's like, look, that's my brother. No matter what he does, no matter how dumb he is, no matter what mistakes he makes, I'm there because he's my brother. I always have to choose him because he's my brother. Right? So a lot of different ideas goes on in our minds, but I want us to understand the mind of this audience because that opens up the depth of what this is communicating. So when, when, when Jesus, in Jesus' culture and even before Jesus, family was everything. Right? Even more so than, than you know, in, in Graham County, family's a really big deal. In Jesus' culture, it was far more serious. So much so that even when somebody got married, it wasn't about, oh, I really love this person and this, this person's really going to satisfy me. And that really was a very secondary concern. If you liked your spouse, that's just a great benefit, but that is not the primary objective. The primary objective in marriage was how do we connect two families? So when I'm deciding who I'm going to marry or when I'm looking for a spouse, I'm thinking, how is that family going to benefit our family? How, how does connecting these two families actually help both of our families grow in honor, grow in prestige, grow in wealth, whatever? The idea of my individual desire was very much secondary. So much so that even when a wife got married, her primary source of, of protection and, uh, and help and advice was not her husband, it was her brother's. Her brothers were the most significant relationship in her life, even after marriage. Okay, now I'm not saying all this to say like this is what we need to move back to, but this is the reality of a familial culture and what this audience was hearing. So when this audience hears there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, they think that that does not even make sense. Because you think about how close you are with your spouse, and this is this is saying there's a relationship that's even more significant than the closest relationships that you can understand. That is a very surprising thing for this writer of Proverbs to say. Now, Jesus understood this dynamic of family, and he spoke to it often, and he spoke to it in some very surprising ways. In Mark chapter 3, he said this. So, so let, me give you some, give you, let me give you some background. Jesus was teaching. He was teaching to a lot of people, all right? Now, in our context, in our culture, if, if one person is speaking to a lot of people, if you need something, you're just going to have to wait. But look at how this audience responded. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling to him. And the multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So what did they expect? What did this multitude expect? They expected that no matter what Jesus was in the middle of, he had to stop. Because family took priority. If your mother and your brothers needed something, you stopped whatever you were doing, and that was your priority, right? That would have been, there would have been nothing strange to them if Jesus just stopped teaching and walked down to help his family. That would have been normal. But what we know about Jesus, he often did very abnormal things. So look at his response. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him, and he said, here are my mother, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. This was the most ins insensitive and shocking thing that Jesus could have said to those people. Jesus' own family would have been probably really hurt and confused by what he just said. Because they were supposed to be his priority no matter whatever happened in life. And yet Jesus is saying, you know what, I love my family, but there is, there's a relationship that is even more important. 
Well, what is that relationship he's talking about? He's talking about those who are doing the will of his Father. Now, this isn't, he's not saying, I, I don't care about my family anymore, because the reality is his family was invited to be a part of that relationship. His family was welcome to be brought into that depth of relationships with him. But Jesus was saying here, look, as blood relatives, we can only be so close. But we can move beyond the relationship that we have and have a deeper, more meaningful relationship when we focus on something else. You see, every relationship is focused on something. There is something that holds every relationship together. As we think of companionship or just connectedness, what holds us together is our shared hobbies or just the fact that we rub shoulders a lot. That's what holds us together. And so when that center breaks apart, that relationship is gone. And yet here, Jesus is saying, you know what? The bond of blood is strong. In that day, it was way stronger than we even understand. But he says, you know what? Even that bond of blood is not enough. That bond of blood can be broken apart. But there is something that can be the focus of our relationships that will give us a depth we have never experienced and that cannot be broken apart. And that is when we each individually choose to submit and to follow God. You see, when God is a center of relationships... We are going to experience more intimacy and closeness than we ever could with anybody, regardless of circumstances or even blood relations. So Jesus was shocking the world right here when he said this. This is, these are my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of God. So why would anyone make such a crazy commitment? Right? When you think about your earthly brothers in that culture, you were responsible for them and you had to commit to them. And that was a hard task. Why in the world would I willingly choose to do that to someone else? If I don't have to be responsible for you, why would I be? Why would I ever make such a strange decision to commit myself to somebody that I don't have to? Well, look at how Jesus answered that in John 15. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So the command here is to love in the same way that Jesus loved. To be a friend in the same way that Jesus was a friend. Well, how did Jesus demonstrate friendship? He did it by laying down his life. Again, not an overly inviting command. You see, Jesus didn't only lay down his physical life, but he laid down his own ego and his desires day after day after day. And that is what it means to be a friend. A friend is one who sacrifices of themselves for someone else. Saying, I am so committed to you that even though it may cost me and hurt me and be difficult for me, because I'm committed to you, I'm going to do it. Now those day in and day out, moment by moment things are what make that hard. We see this in marriage all the time, right? It's easy to, if we think about, you know, could we lay down our physical lives for our spouse? Absolutely. But do I want to lay down my dreams and my desires every day for those in my home? That's a lot harder task that we are being asked to. So he goes on in verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You see the beauty of this? Jesus is inviting all of us into friendship with him. Now, you know, sometimes we read this, and my first thought was going back to like preschool kiddos and how they interact. If you don't do what I say, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Right? Have you heard people say that? It's a great way to get your way and manipulate people. 
But that is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying this like this threatening, I'm not going to be your friend if you don't do what I say. But this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you know what? Obviously, Jesus is fully God. Every decision he made was in submission to God. He was doing everything God wanted him to do every moment of the day. If we wanted to experience closeness with him, the only way we do that is by living in that same way. There's a there's simple illustration I really like. We use it in marriage counseling, but it fits here too. Our relationships are kind of this three-sided triangle. We have God at top or, the, or whatever that thing is that holds us together at top. And we have these two friendships on the bottom. And you realize the closer that each of those friends gets to God, the closer they're actually getting to one another. Do you see that? As we're moving up this triangle in closeness to God, we are moving closer to one another as well. So Jesus was inviting us on this type of a journey right here. Well, where is Jesus at on this triangle? Obviously, he's right at the top already. He's there waiting for us. He's made the commitment to us. He's made, the, he's made his life about following the Father's will. And so he's saying, hey, if you want to be a part of this relationship with me, this is where I am. You are welcome to come and join. We have a chance with the God of the universe to have a relationship that cannot be broken. But as we think about the relationships in our lives, what are the things that hold our relationships together? You know, there's a lot of marriages that the thing, the central thing that holds them together is their kids. But someday the kids grow up and they move out of the home and what's left? Sometimes in those moments, those relationships are broken apart because there's nothing left. But if we build our friendships, if we build our marriages, if we build our relationships off this shared submission to God, that is not something that's going to be lost unless we choose to turn away and walk with him no more. So God is inviting us into something really beautiful as we think back to Proverbs chapter 18, you know, the one who, who has a lot of friends, his life comes to ruin. That word ruin means to be torn apart, broken apart. You see, we can have a whole lot of acquaintances and our relationships are all built on this stuff that doesn't last. And just relationship after relationship we see being broken and torn apart. And every time we lose that relationship, it hurts. And we're a little bit more afraid to do it the next time. And so Jesus is offering us here, look, there is a center thing to relationships that will not break apart. If both people focus on this, this relationship will last and withstand. And look at the result of this in John 15, 15. So those who choose to join Jesus on this journey of friendship, he says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now remember, this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And these opening words, no longer, he is saying, I am about to change the way everything works. I'm about to bring in a new covenant that is going to completely, radically change our relationship with one another. You see, up to this point, people related to God as a servant. I obey him because I have to. I only show up when he tells me to. But Jesus is saying, no, I am offering you friendship. You see, a friend doesn't obey because they have to. They're looking forward to serving the other person. A friend doesn't just show up when they are told to. A friend is free to show up at any moment. So Jesus is saying here, everything has changed now in our relationship. Because Jesus is saying, I have made a way for you to have God at the center of your relationship and you can join me in this pursuit. Now this is a wonderful idea here. And something that I think all of us would look forward to, but the reality is a lot of this talk is about denying self and sacrifice, and that's hard. And thankfully, Peter understands us, 
and he felt that way too. And so Peter said one point to Jesus, he says, look, we have left all and followed you. Right? It's kind of this attitude of like, Jesus, I keep giving and giving and giving. Why would I keep doing this? Why would I pursue these friendships? And look how Jesus answers him. Jesus answered and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or mother, brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Do you see the beauty of this? When we think about friendships, we often think about what it costs us, what I have to sacrifice. Jesus is saying you're viewing this all wrong. Friendship is not about what it's costing you. Look to what you are actually gaining. You see, the disciples left their blood relations to follow Jesus, but Jesus created a new family. He created a new family that they were a part of, and he says, look, you had one mother and you had one father. Now you are in a community that's full of mother and father figures. You maybe have one or two siblings, but now I have given you a community of brothers and sisters who you can share life with. You know, this verse is not meant to be this individual promise that if I do what Jesus says, he's going to give me everything I want. This is speaking to the community that God's family makes available to us. When we choose to invest ourselves and be committed friends to other people, we can experience the blessing of deep, intimate community. And so when we need houses or goods, we have others who are willing to share with us. When we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us in moments of joy and moments of sorrow, they're there. And the great thing about this is these relationships and with God at the center don't just last as long as we're alive. They bleed over into eternal life. These are relationships that we will enjoy for all of eternity. Now, when we get to heaven, we're going to understand friendship. But the reality is we don't have to wait until heaven to experience it. We can begin now to experience the great gift that God has given us of friendship. You know, as, we, as we've journeyed through the idea of COVID the last few years, it's taught us a lot about community. You know, there was a long period of time where, where none of us were allowed to come to church and we had to watch at home. And, you know, it was, it was okay. You still got to hear some teaching. But, man... Those moments, those months of being apart helped us to understand the depth of what we're missing when we're not actually together. Community is not possible through online platforms alone. Now, it's, online platform is a wonderful tool. When you're sick or traveling, we are so glad you could join us on there. Hello out there. We're so glad you can be there. But if that's all that we experience of God's family, we are missing out on the depth of community. We are missing out on the blessing that God wants us to experience. So I encourage you, how do we take a step? What, what can we do now to move towards this? Because maybe this is a scary thing, and it's kind of overwhelming to think about deep relationships. How do I start? I want to recommend this book to you. I just read it this week, the last couple of weeks. It's called Side by Side by Ed Welch. A very simple book. But it basically is, a, is talking about these topics. How do we actually start friendships? And it goes into just very simple things. How do I just go up and greet somebody? Because, you know, that's a terrifying step. It actually takes a lot of faith to just go up and be like, I'm going to do it. And the book gives us just some very practical things of how do I do that. And it gives us some really good ideas about, like, what's the next question I ask? What if they don't really carry on a conversation? How do I do that? 
This is a very helpful book just for some very practical things about how to go about doing this. Because we know we want deep relationships, but they don't happen overnight and they don't happen by accident. They only happen when one person says, you know what, I'm going I'm to make the commitment. I'm going to be willing to take that step of faith. I'm going to try it. And yes, you may get rejected. But the great reality is this room right here is full of people who are probably going to speak to you kindly. They're probably going to try to engage you because that's, we understand that's what we are aiming at as a body. So I encourage you, short books, simple, short chapters, but great ideas of just how do we start this process. And so keep this simple. How do I be this kind of friend? Keep it simple. You don't have to go throw an elaborate celebration this week and invite two people and be like, I now pronounce my friendship with you, right? We don't need to do that. There's actually times in history where that has been done. But we can pronounce our choice of committing to somebody in the very small ways. Figure out what's going on in their life and speak into that. Send them a card when you know something's hard. Give them a call when you know they're facing something in that day. Tell them you're praying for them. Rejoice with them about something exciting happening in their life. These are simple steps we can make that start to show others we are committed to relationships and to one another. So as we bring all this to a close, we think, you know, this is a scary thing. Why would we ever do this? Our answer is always the gospel. So in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus, it's quoting, it's quoting this. It says, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why do we choose to be people who commit to others? Because we have a Savior who has chosen to commit to us. And when we start to understand the depth of friendship that Jesus has made available to us with God the Father, that relationship is going to overflow into us choosing to commit to other people. Do you understand how that's, that's how the entire world began? God was dwelling in a trinity of friendship and relationship. And out of the abundance of that relationship, he created the world. He created us so that we could experience and join in on the friendship that they were having. And so as we grow in our understanding of our friendship with God, we too can do this. But if I don't really feel like a friend of God, I don't really feel like God is my friend, there's really not a whole lot of motivation for me to go take that step and do that really hard thing of trying to build a relationship with other people. So our great desire is that this would be a church who is full of these committed relationships. And we won't have that relationship with everybody in here, but when we have groups of friends who are deeply committed to one another and all these groups are overlapping, all of a sudden we have this community that's getting and understanding the family that Jesus created when he created the church. So may we be a church that lonely people can come to and find community. It won't happen by accident, but it'll only happen as each of us as individuals choose to commit ourselves to God and to commit ourselves to one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the true and great friend. Thank you for giving us this idea of friendship. Father, Christianity is so unique because the, the false gods of other religions are not friends with their people. They are, they are figures to be feared and dreaded. But God, you are a friend. Help us to believe that in the depths of our soul. Help us to be changed and radically transformed by the fact that the God of the universe wants to be our friend. And Father, may that relationship within us overflow to those around us. May we be people who are willing to take the step 
to find one or two people that I can have a committed relationship with. May we make that choice, even though it may cost us greatly. Father, we know it is, it is pleasing to your heart, and it is the way that you are going to build your kingdom. So give us the courage, even this day and this week, to greet someone we don't know, to ask questions of those we may not really know. Father, may you continue to build this community as a place of friendship. We thank you for the work that you've done here. We thank you that, that, that this is a friendly environment and a place where people can find community. May you protect that unity, Father. May you give us your heart when it comes to the people in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.